Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. Where's Uncle Cameron? Fine, thank you. Thank you. Someone who's not insulting me notices he's not here. Oh, so that's the big announcement, huh? You two broke up. Well, well, a baby wasn't going to help that anyway. And you know, let me tell you, you're a little better off because he was a bit of a drama oh, queen. No, 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 stop, stop. No, you come into my house and you insult me and my boyfriend, who, by the way, is not that dramatic. And, oh, He adopted a baby. Her name is Lily. Oh, exciting! Uh, just turn it off. I can't turn it off. It's who I am. The music. Yes, music. Come say hi to Lily. Uh, 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 Okay, I, I, I know that I said I thought this was a bad idea, but uh, what do I know? I mean, uh, it's not like I wrote the book on fatherhood. I've been trying all my life to get it right. I'm still screwing up. Right, Manny? I wrote a song about him in the car. Of course you did. Uh, anyway, I'm happy for you. And uh, you should know that uh, I'm not here to spit in your face. I'm here to blow at your back. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, it's, it's supposed to sound better in Spanish. Voy a hacer la brisa en tu espalda, no quien te escupa en la frente. Wow. Oh, it's beautiful. Wow. It's really thank you. All right, well, I want to start with a clip from one of TV's greatest hits recently, Modern Family. Who has seen the show? Uh, you watch it, you're a fan. It features a family that's hardly traditional. Uh, the granddad has a young Latina wife. His own son, Mitchell, is gay. And he and his flamboyant partner, uh, Cam, they're not only life partners, but they adopt this baby girl from Vietnam. And as you saw, the response of the rest of the family is a little bit awkward. Uh, what do you do in a day and age when the concept of family is being redefined? Uh, certainly a few stereotypes there, but you get a sense of the tension uh, faced by a modern family. As one of our frequently asked questions put it, someone in my family recently came out, and I know the Bible says being gay is wrong, right? As a Christian, how should I respond? In other words, when someone chooses a lifestyle with which my faith disagrees, how do I still show love to them? Is accepting them the same as agreeing with them? Well, this is week two of our series, FAQ, in which we're diving one level deeper into the gay debate. Last week, we looked at what the Bible had to say about uh, homosexuality, and if you missed that, we have free CDs available at the Welcome Center. Pick them up, hand them out to friends. But this week, we're asking the question, what should the response of Christians be to gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, friends and family? Because this is an issue affecting more and more people, not only in our community, but in the Christian church at large. And honestly, I think that modern church's response will be defining. Is it possible that we could rise above the politics and kind of polarizing rhetoric of the culture wars and find a third way to actually talk about this? A way forward that allows a conversation to occur between evangelical Christians who, on one hand, hold fast to biblical truth, 
and yet on the other, take Jesus' command to love others seriously. Serious enough to actually accept and embrace those with whom they might disagree. Is that possible? Well, today we're going to explore that question. And I want to start by just acknowledging and calling out that the church in general and the you know, gay community are really worlds apart. I saw a striking example of this last weekend when I took a trip down the Jersey Shore. I wanted to spend just a day at the beach, didn't want to drive too far, so I went down to Ocean Grove. Has anyone been down there? Exit 100 off the Garden State Parkway, about 60, 90 minutes from New York City, and a great town, just, just clean beach, actually founded in the 1800s by a group of Methodist ministers who, kind of, who built it into America's premier seaside religious resort. So Christian families go there, they spend the summer kind of worshiping and going to the beach together. Uh, at the center of the town is a great auditorium, which in the day was built for 10,000 people where you could hold religious revivals. And today, it still hosts Christian speakers, Bible teachers, concerts, Christian concerts. If you go to the beach, you'll see a couple of giant crosses there, kind of claiming the sand for Christ uh, or whatever that. And the uh, entire town, I, I use this, is focused towards conservative, family-oriented religious life. I went there as a kid. It's a dry town, no drinking. And it's very pretty, kind of quaint. It kind of beckons back to the simpler time when Christendom was the dominant worldview. So I got on my bike and pedaled up the board, walked past the throngs of believers on the beach at Ocean Grove, over to the next town, Asbury Park, where it was a little different clientele. This is exit 102 off the parkway. So these two towns are shoulder to shoulder, and though the boardwalk from Ocean Grove runs right into Asbury, the beach scene there is a little bit different. Uh, Asbury Park is known as kind of the unofficial home to uh, New Jersey's gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender community. Uh, you know, that's, uh, every year they host Jersey's Gay Pride Festival. And sure enough, when I was there uh, the other weekend, the beach was not dotted with uh, Christian evangelical families, but gay men playing volleyball and flying rainbow flags. And the contrast was, was so striking because the heart of Ocean City, uh, Ocean Grove, I should say, is this you know, grand auditorium for worship. And at the heart of Asbury is this convention center and casino, which lucky for me, that day was hosting the International Tattoo Convention. So I struck gold. And um, as I pedaled past the line from uh, uh, you know, Ocean into Asbury, I walked right smack into this gay couple. One, one guy was a huge kind of bodybuilder. He's wearing tidy whities and um, he has piercings all over his face, tongue, nose, nipples, eyebrows, lips, anything there, he pierced it. And he actually had a small horn uh, in his nose and across his chest, this was the best part, a giant tattoo that said, Original Sinner. All right? And I just had to pause right there and acknowledge, this is a vintage Jersey Shore moment. Uh, is it not? Here are two towns off the parkway, literally shoulder to shoulder, and the contrast couldn't be more striking. I mean, on the one hand, you have this little enclave of evangelicals in their bubble. And, and don't get me wrong, I love Ocean Grove. As I said, went there as a kid, we'd ride our bikes to get ice cream. It is clean, it's wholesome, it's family fun. But in fact, uh, that day on the boardwalk as I was there uh, in Ocean Grove, they were doing a gospel music program. And so they had a church choir in their robes, led by a group of men with banjos. And then a guy preached the gospel as people kind of walked by in case like any you know, non-believers strolled through town or something. But only 200 yards down the boardwalk, same beach, same sand, original sinner. A cross on this beach, a rainbow flag on the other. Now what's interesting is that in between the two towns, I don't know if you've seen this, is a bridge. Have you ever seen this footbridge? It's about 100 feet or so long. It passes over the lake in between the two towns. And I thought to myself as I looked at it, I wonder if anyone actually ever uses it. 
That is to cross over. Like, like, has it ever occurred to any Christians to actually wander over and engage their gay and lesbian neighbors? It's only a couple hundred feet long, but the two towns side by side might as well be planets apart, different solar systems. On the Asbury Park side, one place was actually pumping club music, but that night in Ocean Grove, guess who was playing at the Great Auditorium? Amy Grant, okay? Now, I grew up in the 80s Christianity, uh, so you can guess which direction I went. Um, the moment I heard, man, Amy Grant was performing, I went straight over to Asbury. And uh, <laughs> just kidding. Not an Amy Grant hater. I get it. I got it. But I wanted to see, well, what would happen? Would anybody from the Christian community dare cross over this bridge and mix among the pagans, the original sinners? And I was only there a few hours, and there didn't seem to be much mixing, as far as I could tell. In fact, not one person crossed over the bridge from either side. And I thought that is an excellent, perfect picture of the chasm that exists between the Christian church and the gay community at large. Each group has their own little subculture that they're comfortable in. And although they may be neighbors, they pretty much regard the other with either apathy or suspicion, and in some cases, outright hostility. As a pastor, um, it may be weird to hear this, but I need to confess Historically, the evangelical church has not treated our gay and lesbian neighbors with either understanding, much respect, or compassion. In fact, our collective history, and we just need to own this, folks, okay, is a sad history of hostility and hypocrisy towards homosexual people. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's the first fill-in. We're taking notes tonight, but you may have heard of Fred Phillips. Anyone hear of him? He is founder of Westboro Baptist Church out of Topeka, Kansas, which is notorious for their anti-gay protests. Um, They claim that uh, most natural disasters and terrorist attacks in our country are God's punishment for tolerating homosexuality. So they use slogans like, God hates fags, AIDS is God's cure for homos, uh, you're headed to hell, and they picket parades, political events, and even other churches that they regard as fag-friendly. Now, understand something. This is a fringe group. They've actually denounced Billy Graham as a false prophet, too liberal. Uh, okay, so that's where they're coming from. They're monitored as a hate group by the ADL. But nonetheless, you look at this, it's, all, it's ugly and painful to even look at, isn't it? And you see, these kinds of public protests and pickets and petitions, over time, they make an impression. A book came out recently titled Unchristian, What a New Generation Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. And the authors researched the perceptions of Christianity among a group of next generation, 16 to 29-year-olds. And their findings reveal that the top three most common perceptions of Christians today are that they're, number one, they are anti-gay. 91% of all young people outside the faith look in and believe that Christians are anti-homosexual. Number two, judgmental. Almost as high, 87%. So in other words, our slogan, they will know we are Christians by our signs, No, love. (laughs) But the survey shows that Christians today are now known for what they're against more than what they're for. That's what the world thinks. Believers are anti-people. They're anti-gay, anti-abortion, anti-Obama, etc., 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 whatever. And the third prevailing perception of Christianity is that Christians are hypocritical. That is, we talk a good game, but our private actions tell a very different story. That's what the outside world sees, folks, when they look at the church. Christians who are unchristian anti-gay, judgmental, hypocritical. And that's painful to hear, isn't it? Truth hurts. And the truth is, the evangelical church at large has given outsiders a lot of ammunition to back up those perceptions. From Fred Phelps to Ted Haggard, 
there are countless cases of unchristian hypocrisy to choose from. We've decided the Bible is the Word of God. We don't have to have a general assembly about what we believe. It's written in the Bible. All right? So we don't have to debate about what we should think about homosexual activity. It's written in the Bible. I think I know what you did last night. If you send me a thousand dollars, I won't tell your wife. If you use any of this, I'll sue you. You may have seen Ted Haggard last on Larry King. He was formerly head of the National Association of Evangelicals, and he was an outspoken critic of the gay and lesbian community until he was discovered doing crystal meth in a hotel room with a gay male escort. That's how that works. That's our context. So with all of this as our background, no matter how fringe, this is our context in the modern world, I want to anchor us with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. So if you take your Bible and turn there right now, would you? You can turn there, and I want to absorb his challenge in the first five verses. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You, what's the word? Hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, who remembers what Jesus did for a living? He was a what? A carpenter. And I imagine Jesus, with all the conservative religious leaders gathered around, they were called Pharisees and they believed themselves to kind of be the policemen and the arbiters of morality. I imagine Jesus kind of rummaging around his workshop to give them a little object lesson about judging others. And he says, tell me, why is it you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to what? To the, the plank in your own. In other words, you guys seem to spend a lot of time focusing on the faults and flaws and shortcomings of all the other people. In other words, what's wrong with her? Oh, look at him. Thank God I'm not like those people. And you walk around kind of bumping into people, and, and the whole time you're oblivious to your own judgmental spirit inside. And it's like you kind of whack people over the head with a two-by-four for their shortcomings when you've got one big plank kind of blurring your vision. That's how you see the world. And then Jesus kind of actually shifts from carpentry to ophthalmology, and he says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, you got enough to worry about yourself without having to focus and fixate on everyone else's sins and shortcomings. And I wonder, isn't that the truth for all of us? When I think about that day at the beach and the bridge dividing Asbury and Ocean Grove, I thought it's no wonder nobody wants to cross that bridge. Because the reality, guys, is that it may be 100 feet long, but it's like a grand canyon filled with judgment and pain and rejection and hurt on both sides. And neither side is able to see the other one clearly, are they? Notice, notice in Jesus' example, who has something in their eye? Which side? Both, right? So it's, for some it's a speck, for others it's a plank. But neither one can see the other clearly, and that's a shame. 
Because the truth is, on each side are real people with real faces who are loved and cherished by a real God. A God desperate to be called their father that he sacrifices his only son to forever remove the plank. And the point is, guys, if we want to cross that bridge and actually reach out and love gay family and friends well in the spirit of Christ, we first have to be able to see them clearly. We have to be able to take an honest look at the critical spirit in our own hearts that need changing and ask God to actually change it with with understanding, charge it with empathy and Christ-like compassion for a community most of us know little or nothing about. And that's why I invited my friend Ron Kustis to share his story with us today. Uh, Anyone at Liquid's Morristown campus will immediately recognize Ron. He not only serves on our greeting team, but he is one of the best life group leaders in all of Liquid. Uh, Ron is more than a friend to me. He's my brother in Christ. Um, Those of you who know him, um, Ron is a fun cookie. I have no other way to say it, man. We had lunch last week, and I laugh, I cried, and when, when I heard what God has done in his life, um, he has an incredible story of his own struggle with same-sex attraction. And without giving his, his story away, he grew up in a very religious home, but by the time he was a freshman at Rutgers, he became fully immersed in the gay scene in New York City until God called his name and he crossed another bridge back to Christ. Suffice to say, Ron knows both worlds very well. He's been on both sides of the bridge, okay? And so I want to ask him to share his story with us today so we can learn two things. First, I want you to like see close up the power of Christ to change all of us, whether you are straight or gay, you're hurting, you're hypocritical. And then secondly, to help us and teach us how can we build bridges to gay and lesbian friends, family, coworkers in our lives with actually love, understanding, empathy, and compassion. Because most of us honestly are hesitant maybe a, a bit fearful about taking that first step. Um, and Ron is a bridge builder, a man who's gone back and forth on the bridge many times, and he's lived to tell about it. So would you give a big, warm, liquid welcome to the stage for my friend, Ron Kustis. Ron, thank you, my man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you being here. And first, I just want to say, I want to make sure everybody knows that's actually a Q, not a G, just so that's clear out there. <laughs> Important to me. Anyway, as Tim said, I grew up in a very religious home. We not only attended church once a week, twice a week, make that three times a week, but by the time I entered college, I had traded in Sunday school for the New York City nightlife, which was then good old Studio 54. There were absolutely no rules in that trendy club, but there were lots of rules in Sunday school. I found freedom in the nightlife, which I thought was sadly lacking with my Christianity. I felt total acceptance, though, behind those velvet ropes. I didn't always find that same acceptance within my local church. So I ditched that church and took myself a male gay lover for the next 13 years. I remember us partying at studio. It was New Year's Eve, 1979. Village people were up there pumping out ready for the 80s. But in reality, none of us were ready for the 80s. As the 80s came in big, with a big disease, with a very little name. And one by one, I literally lost all my friends to this new illness. Then on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, my lover Charles woke me up at 2 a.m. and said, Ron, take me to the hospital. I can't breathe. Three days later, I entered his hospital room with the physician telling him, Charles, you not only have AIDS, but you have full-blown end-stage AIDS. 
My world I created for myself instantly crashed overnight in front of me. But something good happened when I returned home that night. I never felt the power of the Holy Spirit so much in my entire life as I rededicated my life to God. And the words of Romans 8, 38, and 39 came rushing back in my head. And they reminded me that neither death nor life nor anything in all of creation could separate me from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus. And I knew from that point, no matter how far I strayed from God, that he never once stopped loving me. And for the first time, the story of the prodigal son actually made sense. I always sided with the brother who stayed with the father and did all the right things because that was me. Um, But I was just so glad there was a big party up in heaven when I came back into the family of God. But now I was faced with kind of a new dilemma. Like, how would my partner for the past 13 years react to my new or renewed commitment to Christ? But a youth pastor once told me that if someone was truly seeking God, that God would reveal himself in the book of John. Fortunately for me, my, da- my dad is a Gideon. He's one of those people who leave Bibles all over the place. So I found a New Testament in my house that he must have left there one day. And I brought it to Charles, and I marked off the book of John. And I said, listen, if you're you know, up to it, you might want to read this passage. A few days later, I entered his hospital room, and his phone was ringing. And I went to pick up the phone, and he said, tell whoever it is that you're my brother. And I said, excuse me? And he said, no, tell whoever it is you're my brother. Now I'm looking at all the medication, I'm looking at all the IV hookups, and I'm thinking he's a little bit nuts. But then he said, with a little smirk on his face, he said, tell whoever it is that you're my brother in Christ. And I got to tell you, they were like the best words I have ever heard. And I'm thinking, dang, that book of John thing really works. I'm like, oh, Jesus. But our relationship changed as we were no longer considered lovers, but we were now Christian brothers. And God began changing both of us. And Charles would tell anyone who would listen to him that the only thing that mattered in life was your relationship with Christ. And my life changed from being a very self-centered person to becoming a full-time caregiver. The following year was rough, to say the least, as he went blind, developed wasting syndrome, and dementia. But I was very blessed to have the support of a very loving church community. At the time of his passing, his favorite Christian song, which he learned at church, was It Is Well With My Soul. And that was playing on family radio. And just as I finished reading Psalm 130 to him, which he dedicated to me when all my test results came back negative, he just closed his mouth and stopped breathing. And at his wake, he requested that my dad hand out Gideon New Testaments to everyone who came just so they would have the same opportunity to find Christ in the book of John that he did. Um, That's pretty cool. So here I am today in front of you at Liquid Church many, many years later. Um, Just your average Jersey Joe trying to serve Christ as my Lord and King one day at a time. We thank Ron. Just to share, thank you, Ronnie. Uh, You're giving us a snapshot of your story, my man. Thank you. You know, um, one of the reasons I wanted you to hear from Ron is because his, the way Christ came for him was a process. It was a, it was a long journey, right? Yes. I mean, really beginning even when you were younger. Just a few questions for you. I mean, when did you first realize you had same-sex attractions? Well, uh, the big moment for me was when I was at Rutgers University. Uh, it was back in the 70s, remember, and we actually had something called Disco Wednesdays every Wednesday. And... <laughs> 
a different artist would come in every week, and I remember Gloria Gaynor's up there belting out, I will survive. And unlike my high school dances, guys weren't dancing with women. Most of the guys were actually dancing with guys. And I remember getting that big rush, thinking, okay. wow, this is where I belong, yeah. and this is kind of who I am. Interesting. Now, was there, in, like, do you, do you believe people choose to be gay? Uh, no, I don't believe that at all because what do you do, wake up one morning and say, I want to be gay today? <laughs> no. Okay. But I do believe there's a lot of predisposed uh, conditions or events that happen in life that can gear people. What were some and of I, those factors in your life? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you one of them. It's kind of personal. <laughs> but, but I remember as a little kid, um, maybe just seven or eight years old, just a bunch of guys were just wrestling in somebody's backyard and I remember very innocently, somebody just grabbed me in the crotch area okay. and instant sexual awakening for me. Okay. And um, kind of because it was associated with guys at the time, it kind of stayed with yeah. me that that was like my turn yeah. on. And was, it, was there any conversation about that to be had with your folks in the church? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, I will say this very briefly. When I got into high school, we got a new Sunday school book, and it had some very progressive chapters in it. Uh, no more Jonah and the Whale stories. But there was a chapter on, uh, I remember masturbation, a chapter on homosexuality. And I was like, wow, my church, very conservative, is going to deal with these issues. Well, when we got to those chapters, we skipped them like they didn't exist. And I sat there going, am I the only Christian dealing with these issues? Like, do you say, Sunday school teacher? Right. <laughs> we missed the chapter on homosexuality. Yeah. I, I don't think so. <laughs> Now, so have you experienced, I mean, healing in this area? Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, God heals us in a lot of different ways. And one of those other predisposed factors, I believe, is uh, maybe not having such a great relationship with your same-sex parent. Okay. And I remember as a kid, I was always the good kid. I did everything right. Mm. So whenever I was disciplined by my dad, I focused on that discipline. Okay. So I wrapped his identity in discipline in my relationship as a son that way, um, which wasn't really the case, but okay. that was stuck in my mind. And I remember many years later when I had to fess up to my dad, you know, about my life and my lifestyle, it was just a total healing experience. And it not only healed my relationship with him, but also uh, the bigger father up in heaven. So things father. come in pieces with me. So uh, do you consider yourself like a gay Christian? No, not at all. Um, I identify with Christ alone. Everything else is secondary okay. in my life. Okay. That's interesting because most uh, gay or lesbian folks their orientation is really oriented around their sexual identity. Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, that's who they define who they are. And so that, was that a shift for you? Yeah, it was a big paradigm okay. shift, yes. You know, you know, it's like when I came back to Christ, it was like, I mean, I think Paul says it, like yeah. scales were lifted from my eyes, and okay. it was kind of like that same experience, okay. like an awakening. Interesting. Now, as a Christian man with same-sex attraction, you've chosen to live celibate. Yes, where do you find the strength for that? Well, well, um, well, of course, my strength is totally in Christ. And to me, I think it's a very full, a small sacrifice. I've got eternal glory waiting for me. Okay. I'll be made completely whole then. If yeah. the process is rather long on earth, I'm good with that for the moment. That's an amazing thing uh, to me, and I want to just highlight this for you. I think I put it in your notes. Matthew 19 uh, contains an interesting verse where Jesus talks about eunuchs. You guys know what a eunuch is? A eunuch is, was a castrated male. Uh, so, it, like in ancient times, it was guard the queen, etc. And uh, Jesus says this. He says, for some are eunuchs because they were born that way. In other words, some men were born without the capacity to bear children, have relations with women. Others were made that way by men. That was the, the physical act of castration. And that says, and others 
have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. And I never got that verse, what, what that meant, but in many ways Jesus is saying, actually there are going to be some people in this world who out of their devotion to me are going to choose celibacy as a way of life. And they're sacrificing it. Why? For the sake of the kingdom of God. Kingdom is kind of what brings us together, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, as, as I mentioned last week, flaming heterosexual, trying to be faithful <laughs> to Christ and my wife Colleen. Like, what do we have in common? Yeah, I mean, we have Christ as the common bond. And again, um, we all have temptations. We all have sexual issues. We all have messy lives. Yeah. But... Um, Christ is the foundation that everything's built on. What would you say to the person listening uh, here or maybe online who's struggling with their sexuality? Uh, well, I would say first and foremost, don't be like me thinking you're the only person on the planet, especially as a Christian dealing with it. There's other people out there. And um, at Liquid, there's a great staff here. If these guys can talk to me about the issue, believe me, you can talk to them about it. Now, something Christians like to say, if you, you um, texted this one in, uh, Christians like to say, you know, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. How do gay people hear that? They hear that, hate the sinner, hate the sin, hate me. Because okay. don't forget, don't forget okay. gay people or transgendered community, they don't consider this a sin. It is a lifestyle issue okay. to them. It's their identity. Yeah. So you're basically saying, I hate you. Right, right, right. I heard someone say uh, to me, they said, well, we hear that in the same way as if I said to you, hate Christ, love the Christian. We'd be like, what, what, what? But being a Christian is loving Christ, and we, we wouldn't understand that, but that's how that's experienced in many ways. Yes, that's an exact way to put it. What has been your best experience at Liquid? Um, actually, my best experience at Liquid is, has to relate to my life group that I lead. Um, we were exactly. studying, is anybody out there from my life group? Life group are out here. Yeah, there they are in the back. Thanks for coming. Uh, but uh, we wrapped up a study on the book of James, and you know, James basically yeah. says, faith without works is dead. And let me tell you, these guys were troopers. So one week after church, we went shopping, and then we headed over to the city, and uh, we cooked and served dinner and hung out with the residents of Bailey Holt House, which is a residence for uh, 45 people with AIDS living in New York City. And, awesome. And we're having a good time up there, see? Yeah, it, looks like, it looks like Papa Ron's kitchen <laughs> there. That's, uh, there Wait, is, let me man. tell you, the residents liked us so much, they wanted us back the next day. Right? But we couldn't go back. That, to me, is a snapshot of how we want all our life groups to be. It's, it's not about getting in this little holy huddle, but then living out our faith missionally together. So I just love the leadership you're providing there, Ron. Oh. Thank you for that. And thank you for being here, guys. Awesome. Um, someone wrote, I'll just let you take a stab at this. Someone wrote in their FAQ, they said, My son who is gay, wants to bring his partner over for dinner this Thanksgiving. What should I do? I say you better get a bigger turkey and you better have at least two extra chairs sitting at that table. Because all I can say is my experience. I came from a Christian family. My lover was not from a Christian family. Guess who I chose to spend every holiday for the next 13 years? It was not with my Christian family. Because I knew I was totally accepted yeah. with the other family. So in many ways, this is like an opportunity. Yes, exactly. You know what? Show some love, you know? <laughs> Why does everything have to turn into a theology issue? Right. It's Thanksgiving. You know? It's Thanksgiving, <laughs> indeed. Um, what would you say to the person, closing thoughts, just in our church, maybe watching online, who has a gay family member or friend, and they want to actually, in a practical way, show them the love of Christ? You know what? I, I think that's important. Just showing love is extremely important. I had a woman come up to me once, um, and she was a mother, and she literally had no communication with her son for 10 years because she was a Christian, you know, that Christian love, and her son was gay, so they didn't speak to each other. And she said, how do I get through to my son? And I said, well, what did he enjoy most as a kid? And she instantly said, oh, he loves my chocolate chip cookies that I bake. 
I said, well, you go home and bake him some chocolate chip right. cookies and mail them to him. Right. You know, show a little love. Cookies are a bridge builder, gay or straight. That's like oh, universal. Oh, food goes, food goes a long way. <laughs> Can you thank Ron for just sharing a few minutes with us and being willing to be here? Appreciate that, man. I, you, you. Ron, Ron is he's an example to all of us, man. When I talk with him, just to see the grace of Christ close up and the courage that's lived out in your life, Ron, you know, thank you so much. Oh, um, one of the reasons I wanted us all to hear Ron's story is so that it would start a conversation. I think part of the problem is that sometimes, as Christians, we're so focused on conversion, you know, that somehow we need to magically change people. We, we, we can't see anything else. It's part of the plank mentality, right? Like, I want to convert. We can't talk. I got to convert. I got to get... And it blocks any hope for meaningful dialogue with what is a very complex, nuanced issue. Um, the gay debate, it defies sound bites or simplistic answers because it's the real lives of real people. And I'm hoping that Liquid can be known as a place that's not only known by our love for the GLBT, kind of our brothers and sisters, but we're actually a safe place to have an honest, respectful dialogue about these issues. So if you're gay or lesbian or you're not sure, even when we may not see eye to eye or agree with each other, could we at least have a conversation? I have to tell you, for the first 20 years of my life, I did not want to have that conversation. In fact, I, the only thing I had towards the gay community was condemnation. Uh, the church I grew up in had one note to play in this, basically that gays and lesbians were pretty much, you know, all perverts who were all going to hell. And there were any b number of biblical verses that seemed to support that, so I kind of absorbed that attitude growing up, took it with me right into high school, where the ultimate insult in the high school I went to was, don't be a fag, you're so gay, what are you, queer? And just I was totally oblivious, that was, just, that was it. And uh, on our high school baseball team, there is a, one of the players, Eduardo, who, who was kind of effeminate, and uh, the rest of the guys just, just kind of mocked and teased and abused him mercilessly, you know, snapping towels out of my chair, hey, fag, fag, and all that. And, and it, I was a follower of Christ at the time, but it didn't even occur to me that that would have anything to do with my faith. Now, I didn't always participate, but, you know, oh, you know they're just being guys. Now, fast forward to my adult life, and uh, my wife works in Manhattan with, uh, in the media industry. Uh, and surprise, surprise, a lot of her, uh, some of the people she works with are gay and lesbian. They worked in the theater district, etc. And, uh, and it was interesting because in, early in our marriage, she started forming friendships and became very close with one man named Robert. And uh, she said to me, this was before we had kids, she said, Hey, uh, Tim, um, I'd love to have Robert over. And I said, yeah, okay, you know, if he's ever in the area. And so one Saturday morning, I'm reading the paper, and the phone rings. And I hear her chatting in the room. And she says, oh, guess what? Robert and his partner are coming over today. I said, who is this? Robert, who? who? And she goes, Robert and his partner, they're going antiquing, and they want, I want to have them over for lunch. I said, uh, yeah, this is his, his partner. Is this like his business partner? Who uh, is this? What are they selling? You know? No, it's not that partner. And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And she's like, why not? And I was like, well, you know, I don't, you know, what would that message send? And she's like, send what message? It would send the message, he's my friend. <laughs> We're having him over for lunch. And I said, look, I don't want to argue about this. I just don't think it's a good idea. And she's like, oh, come on, please. You know, I really, I, and I, I, I just, literally, I just, I don't want those fags in my house. <gasps> you ever have one of those moments where something comes out that reveals what's actually in here and you go, come back in there. I was a pastor, my first year being a pastor. So here I am on Sundays telling everyone about the love and grace of Jesus when my private life during the week is full of hypocrisy and judgment and condemnation. I mean, you, you talk about a blind spot. 
I was a Bible-banging homophobe. I was the unchristian. And that was my wake-up call that I needed a heart change. And um, that day I repented. I actually apologized to uh, my wife. And when, when the plank came out, I apologized to God and said, God, you need to change some things in me because I don't want to be that hypocrite that Jesus is talking to. Christ opened my eyes to the sexual brokenness in my own life. Uh, as I told you about last week, as a flaming heterosexual man struggling to stay pure in my actions and in my thoughts before Christ, before my wife, I admitted, you know what, I, I, I don't know anything about the GLBT community. And, and so I actually began investigating. And Jesus spoke to me through his word. I remember this because it hit me like a two, whoa, two by four. In Matthew 5, a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be what? Sons of your Father in heaven. And then it says this, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, what? Jesus challenges his disciples to take this very countercultural posture towards their enemies. He says, I want you to do what? I want you to embrace those who are not like you. All I knew is I was supposed to condemn and combat them. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to draw close and love them unconditionally. And those words began to convict and just kind of pound away and soften my heart. And I realized, well, if you're going to show love to somebody, it means you've got to get close. That's how you hug somebody. And this was back in 2005 when I learned that our state's GLBT community held their annual Jersey Pride celebration and of all places, Asbury Park. <laughs> At the time, Liquid was only a couple hundred people and I said, what if, we, what if we actually guys put love in action? What if we called off church, can you imagine this, and spent our Sunday serving the gay community in love, no strings attached? And people were like, well, what would we do to serve them? And I was like, well, I don't know. We're, the name of our church is Liquid. What if we, what if we handed out bottles of water? This is where that, fir that first came alive. And we contacted the uh, Jersey Pride sponsors there, and they were very suspicious. They were like, so you're gay-friendly, but we see that you meet at Militant Baptist Church. The name of it was Millington Baptist, but never, never mind. They, they got it. <laughs> and we got a permit to set up a booth. And the day of the festival came, and it was 105 degrees that day in Asbury Park. There we are. We had truckloads of bottled water and ice. Look at our cardboard sign. That was pure first class right there, right? Really ghetto, I love it. Free water, refreshing, no strings attached, just like God's love. And we trucked them in. There's Big Mike, Pastor Mike, and Hall and Waters, and we're handing out. And by literally by, by 2 uh, in the afternoon, I think it was noon, we had handled out 4,000 bottles of water by 12 noon. That's when I have my notes. We picked up trash. We served humbly. And at the booth next to us, we had incredible conversations. I met a, a pair of lesbian women. I remember them, Bobby and Dee, who made stained glass. And uh, they said, oh, so let's liquid a club. And I was like, not exactly. Uh, we're a church, and like, oh, great, a, a gay, you know, gay-friendly church, you perform civil unions. I said, ah, not exactly, and they're like, well, what are you doing here? And when I told them that I was a Christian pastor, I, I, it was like the, all the blood drained from Bobby's face. And she said, are, are you going to try to change us? I, I'll never forget that. And I said, no, actually, I'm here because Jesus is changing me. And I'm here to honestly say I'm sorry and apologize for the shabby way that I, at least, have treated Many of your people over the last 20 years of my life, can, can you forgive me for that? I'm, I'm so sorry. And she was shocked. And then she actually started crying. And she said, I've never heard a Christian say the words, I'm sorry. I've never heard that. 
The power of repentance. At 2 o'clock, the organizers of the parade came marching towards our tent with walkie-talkies. And I thought, that's it, we're going to get kicked out. And they pulled me aside and said, can we talk to you, Pastor Tim? I said, yeah. They said, we actually have a request. We, uh, oh, this is awkward. Um, we've run out of water backstage. Do you have any extra? I said, yeah, we got a little bit of extra. Bring around the truck, Mike. And uh, we brought around the truck and with hand carts wheeled 10 cases backstage to a troop of drag queens waiting to perform. And we served them water. And it was one of the finest days of ministry where Jesus changed me. The New York Times sent a reporter who actually wrote an article in the next day paper with the headline, Christians say hello, gay activists say hmm. <laughs> See, folks, that's, that's how you take a first step across the bridge. You, you do what Jesus said and you actually put down the two by four. First, remove the plank from your own eyes so you can see your brother clearly. And then you actually can serve them in love, no strings attached, just as Christ did for you, judgmental Tim Lucas. That's how the Bible defines true love. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. And man, when that hit me, radical grace. After the event was over, the head of security, big guy, actually came up to me and said, I want to talk with you. I said, yeah. He goes, I was watching your people the entire day. I said, and what did you see? He just goes, I saw sincerity. That's something I haven't seen in the Christian community too much. I'd like to talk with you about this Jesus. And so I said, well, day's over. Do you want to come over for dinner? Oh, this is a big moment for me. My wife is like, oh, my gosh. And he came over for dinner, and it turns out his dad was a Baptist minister down south. Surprise, surprise. And he said, I'm, I know all the verses. He goes, but I'm very intrigued by your Jesus. And I said, why is that? He said, because he's definitely made the world better for me and my gay friends. I said, how's that? He said, well, there's one less homophobe like you now in the world. And I was like, how interesting. Sometimes even gay folks welcome a change in orientation. See, folks, the secret of crossing the bridge, fo- folks, it's that... We think there are two sides, gays, Christians, when the truth is there is no us in them. There's only us. There's only us. The cross says there are sinners who found Christ and sinners who need him. And that's liberating to admit, isn't it? That I'm not responsible for changing anyone. As if I could. Like, how arrogant is that attitude? Ron couldn't leave Studio 54 until Christ came for him and Christ did in Christ's time. I could not get the plank out of my eye until Christ came for me and did eye surgery on me. And now I see everything differently because of Jesus. And I now realize there's no us or them. There's just us. So what's the big idea? Part of the measure, guys, of being a Christian is how how much Christ has a hold of your life is the degree to which you're able to open your arms and embrace others as Christ did from the cross in their moment of greatest need. Twelve years ago, when President Clinton was going through his sex scandal, he asked for spiritual support. And the only one who reached out was Billy Graham. And Graham attended a rally where Clinton was, and a reporter went up to Billy Graham and said, why are you here supporting this man after everything he's done to this country? And you know what Graham's answer was? He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict 
God's job to judge and my job to love. Folks, I can't think of a better response as Christians to our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. Is our God big enough that we could actually trust the Holy Spirit to convict those who need it, Jesus to judge and realize our job is to simply what? To love. Can we actually all say that together? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. Love without limits. Even those, especially those not like me, just as Christ did for us. Amen? Can we ask God to put that in our heart? That's our heart. And can we thank Ron Kustis, by the way? Thank you, Ron. Thank you, my man. Love you, buddy. Thank you. Awesome. All of our campuses, let me pray for us right now. Father God, we are thankful to you. Thank you so much, Father, for not being done with us. Lord, whether we're gay or straight, doesn't matter. You're not done with us. Uh, Lord, thank you for coming, for me, removing the scales from my eyes. Lord, you continue to do that. You continue to cut the fat off my heart. I pray, God, for people all over our community watching online. You do the same for us. Put your spirit in us, Lord, the spirit of Jesus Christ who embraced um, the brokenness of people, and, and actually was known as a friend of sinners. God, I thank you for Ron's story. What a marvel, Jesus, to see what you've done in his life, and now you have called him to minister to other people who struggle with same-sex attraction. I ask your blessing on Ron's life. Thank you that we'll actually see his partner, Charles, in heaven. He will be called the brother of Christ because of what Jesus did in Ron. It's amazing, Jesus. Thank you for that. Lord, may we be known and defined by radical love in this community. And may all the glory go to your son, Jesus Christ, who's changing us. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.